Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When I was an adolescent, I would spend summers in New York City visiting my grandmother. And she told me her rules for hailing a cab. Know where you want to go. Don't take no for an answer. And always be kind. The rules stuck. So I would often use taxi cabs to get around. Now, when ride shares like Uber and Lyft emerge, I still took cabs when it was easier and cheaper. Whatever you choose, rideshare companies have changed the transportation ecosystem in our city. So how are things working out for the folks who take rides? And what about the people behind the wheel? That's coming up later this hour. But first, two mosquito-related diseases are in the news. West Nile is back in Tennessee, and a batch of infected mosquitoes was found here in Nashville. At the same time, malaria is spreading in the U.S., for the first time in 20 years, WPLN's health reporter Catherine Sweeney joins us to discuss how these diseases are similar, how they're different, and how to protect yourself this summer. Hey, Catherine, thanks for being here. Welcome back to This is Nashville. Hey, thank you for having me again. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the West Nile virus here in Nashville. Yeah, so West Nile virus is a virus. It has similar symptoms to pretty much all the other ones. Yeah, headache, body ache, vomiting, joint pains. Um, it's rare for people to get sick with it. So it mostly infects birds. I don't think that I realized that until reporting on this story. Mm. Um, and a lot of people who do get it are asymptomatic and they never really get sick sick. Um, it's generally not deadly except in really vulnerable populations like the elderly. Okay, so we're seeing that malaria is spreading in the south in Florida and in Texas. I'm not sure I've ever heard about malaria yeah. spreading in this country. How much of a problem is it right now? It makes sense that you haven't heard about that because it was basically declared eradicated in the 1950s. There was a small outbreak in 2003 or so, but generally there's just a few cases a year in the U.S. And it's mostly people who have traveled abroad, gotten infected over there, come back and didn't get diagnosed until they were home. Uh, the weird thing about right now is that people who did not travel abroad are getting infected. And that means that there are mosquitoes in the U.S., again, Texas, Florida, that have, or excuse me, that have malaria and are spreading it to people. Wow. You mean the U.S. hasn't always had these modern technologies, right? I yeah. Mean. Yeah. So um, you bring up a good point. The modern technologies that we have kind of protect us from malaria. So the U.S. used to have really, really high rates of malaria. And that was back when we didn't have screens and windows. We didn't have air conditioning. Um, sewage lines weren't buried the way they are now. There was just a lot more opportunities for mosquitoes to kind of interact with us. Um, and that's still true for a lot of the world. That's why hundreds of thousands of people die every year from malaria, just not in the United States, um, because we have this technology. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's still deadly. Um, it, it causes a lot of really kind of rough symptoms. It gets into your red blood cells and can destroy them. That can cause all kinds of health problems and even death. But it is just mm. very rare here. Is malaria going to become an annual problem here like West Nile? 
Um, yeah. So the thing is, uh, I, I said, um, yeah, because I was considering not yes, like it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it is very different from West Nile. West Nile, like I said, it's mostly infecting birds. Um, and then it stays all year round. It's just we can only get sick from it in the summer because of the mosquitoes. But malaria is not like that. Uh, that's why Dr. Julian Hillier, sorry, Dr. Julian Hillier, Hillier, a Vanderbilt biologist who studies mosquito-borne pathogens, says he doesn't think that malaria is going to reestablish itself here um, because of those birds and stuff. So, yeah, here's here's his clip. At some point, winter's going to come. Mosquitoes are going to go dormant, and you're not going to get any more transmission, and everything's going to go away. Yeah, so I, I would say that the it's not going to reestablish. Malaria's not going to reestablish in the United States because we do have the infrastructure, and we also have the shifts in temperature that are able to curtail mosquitoes. Question for you. Yeah. I heard that garlic is a good repellent for mosquitoes. Have you gotten any, do you have any scientific evidence to support that? <laughs> I had not heard it, but that would be hilarious because vampires don't like garlic, right? No, they, they drink don't. drink our blood too. They look, vampire bite, mosquito bite, <laughs> equally a nuisance. Okay, so how do people need to protect themselves? Yeah, so obviously we have insect repellent now um, and, you know, mosquito candles, stuff like that. I think one thing that it's important to remember is that it's the worst at dusk and dawn. Um, And so that's when you really need to be extra careful if you're, you know, having dinner outside and the sun is setting or you're going out for an early run. Those are going to be the times where you're most likely to get a bite. Um, They breed in standing water. So Dr. Hillier said um, a big problem if you have kids Um, He said it's kind of like toys just pool up water. It's like they accidentally get designed for that if you leave your kids' toys outside. Uh, But also, you know, like little kiddie pools or buckets um, that you leave outside in the rain. You know, anything like that can attract these mosquitoes. Uh, They can breed there, and then they just are all over the place. Um, And then lastly, if you're hiking, you can cover up with, like, light layers, you know, sleeves and pants. I know that's kind of tough in the summer, but it does protect you from mosquitoes and ticks, which are a whole other problem and obviously Mm -hmm. pretty common here in the South. You know what? I think I'll keep some of those spider webs up on my porch (laughs) for the summer. Catherine Sweeney is WPLN's healthcare reporter. Thank you for this update, Catherine. And as always, thanks for your reporting. Oh, thank you for having me. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll head out to Broadway to catch the scene during peak rideshare times. Do you prefer Uber, Lyft, or a taxi cab? Let us know by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. There are any number of reasons you might need to catch a ride here in Nashville. Say to avoid the parking nightmare downtown during a game or big event. Or maybe you're planning on having a couple drinks and you're doing the right thing by leaving the car at home. Or maybe you don't have a car. Whatever the reason, rideshare apps like Uber and Lyft are a popular option for getting around. It's hard to imagine life without these apps now, but just 10 years ago... They didn't exist here in Nashville. To get a sense of what the rideshare scene is like these days, we sent our producer Magnolia McKay to the Ryman late on a Saturday night. 
It's about midnight, and a Marty Stewart show just let out, so it's kind of a circus out here. Locals and tourists flock to the curb looking for a ride. You're waiting for a ride? Yeah. Amy and Joel say they usually use Uber or Lyft when they come downtown. Because it's easy, you can have something to drink and you don't have to worry yeah. about it. And you can have all the fun you want without being out of control, and then you just go home. Would you ever get a ride with a taxi, or would you always use a no. about four times the price. They tell us 60 bucks, we're paying 10, 15 bucks for this. They're not the only ones who feel this way. I would never call a cab today, no. I would never call a cab today, period. Nashville natives Hooper Inman and his friend Barry rattle off the reasons they don't take taxis. You don't know what the price is of Uber, you, you know. Google it in, it's there, it's, that's what you pay. Cabs I mean, kind of old school in today's society, I think. I mean, they're, they're, they're obsolete now. On the other side of the Ryman, Francesca Kirkpatrick and her friend Charlie Ritchie are having some trouble while waiting for their Uber. It keeps saying one minute, two minutes, one minute, two minutes. Sometimes we have, you know, like hiccups. Like they can't find you or there's a spot where they're supposed to be. And I can't walk very well sometimes, and so I really need them to come and be right where they say they will be. Eventually, everyone finds their ride tonight. But this rift between cabs and rideshare apps in Nashville, it's been a decade in the making. Thank you, Mr. Speaker and members. Members, this is the Transportation Network Companies Services Act, also known as the LIFT and Uber Act, or outside of these chambers, the Lyft and Uber Act. That's Republican uh, Senator Bo Watson of Chattanooga back in 2015 on the House floor. He sponsored the bill which said rideshare apps like Lyft and Uber are not subject to regulations by cities or the Department of Safety. This is a game changer for all of us. Uh, it is uh, a business disruptor. It is a commerce disruptor. But it is the way that we are now moving forward with commerce. And these two companies, Lyft and Uber and others, will utilize and are utilizing this tool to change the marketplace. Tennessee's legislation was praised by a Lyft executive as a model bill. It was a response to cities trying to regulate the rideshare apps like they do taxis with price per mile, fingerprinting for drivers, and requiring commercial insurance, to name a few regulations. Cities also dictate the number of cabs in order to regulate supply and demand and the flow of traffic. The city of Nashville had previously worked with Uber and Lyft for more than a year to develop what would have been one of the first sets of city-level regulations. But this was a much sweeter deal for rideshare companies. As Memphis Democrat Lee Harris pointed out on the House floor during that vote, not letting cities regulate rideshare apps would put Tennessee taxi drivers at a disadvantage. And so it's unfair. It's not really a competitive environment. In the end, the bill passed with an overwhelming bipartisan majority. But exactly what Senator Harris was worried about happened. As tourism has continued to boom in Nashville, we see regulated taxis competing with unregulated rideshare apps. And it's created a sort of wild west. Between surge pricing and cab drivers trying to keep up by naming their own price when regulators aren't looking, it's anyone's guess how much it will cost you to get home from a night out. That also means it's anyone's guess how much a driver will make. It's, it, it makes the qu- it varies a lot. 
It's not, it's not an answer that you can actually pin down. That's full-time Uber driver Mohamed Simon. He says that surge pricing can take his fares from $1 a mile to $30 a mile, though the average is much closer to $1. I've seen the compensation decrease, not increase. It's never increased. From 2017 till now, it's never increased. It's always decreased. Another Nashville driver, Jennifer Serrano, tried Uber and Lyft for a few years, but didn't like the wear and tear on her personal car. So she switched to driving a taxi, which has its own expenses. You have to buy gas, tires, oil change, all the repairs. We have to renew our permits every year. If you buy a car, you have to get it painted. That's about five, six hundred dollars. Get the stickers put on it. That's one or two hundred dollars. Of course, your registration, our equipment, we have to pay to get that installed ourselves. That's one hundred seventy-five dollars. And then we have to pay the company directly. We give them a set amount of commission every week. We have to have commercial insurance, and that's at least three fifty a month. Even so, she says it's a better deal than driving for Uber or Lyft. That's why she's been driving a cab for the past seven years. But it isn't just the rideshare companies she's competing with in Nashville's Wild West. One big problem downtown is that you've got all these fake taxis. They're neither a Lyft or Uber or a taxi. They're just down there illegally. She's talking about minivans that have a light on top, like a taxi, but aren't a real taxi, meaning they aren't associated with any of the nine cab companies licensed to do business in Davidson County. Jennifer feels certain that things are not looking up for Nashville's cab industry. These last six and a half years, taxi has slowed down tremendously. And I know that the recession has a lot to do with it right now. Um, But also, I know that... Taxi did not try to improve overall. They didn't make an app. They haven't tried to really do anything to um, move forward. And if you don't change with the times, if you're a business, you're going to die. Oh, that takes me back. For listeners who don't know, that's the theme song from the old series Taxi from 1978. Thanks to our producer, Magnolia McKay, for that. Now, I'd like to introduce my next guests. Nashville native Rondricus White has uses rideshare as his main mode of transportation, and Samina Globe drives for Uber and Lyft. Rondricus. Samina, thank you both for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. Okay, so, Ron, I want to start with you. Like some folks, we just heard you use rideshare apps to help you get around. Yeah. Why? Uh, Well, I mean, I love my independence. I have a vehicle. I let the wrong person work on it last year, Mm. and I've been down since then. So um, Uber, Lyft, that's the reason it's my main form of transportation. How do you decide which apps to use? Uh, I will open both of them up, put the address in, and whichever one is cheaper is the one I'm taking. So you're going Well, there, it's, it's a top. balance between cheap and, like, how fast am I going to get there? Okay. Right. What, yeah. What's the bigger priority? Depends on how late I am. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Okay, now, Samina, how long have you been doing rideshare driving? 
Um, I've been on the platform for four plus years for both of them. Okay, you're doing that full time? Yes, I am. So tell me, what is a typical day like for you out on the road? Okay, a typical day for me would be I would actually start out, they'll start sending in requests. Um, it could range anywhere from three eighty six for the first ride up to nine dollars. It just depends. Um, you're really driving around and you're looking for the busy areas. So you have to pay attention to the map that Uber and Lyft gives you and it tells you where to go and what that area is offering to the drivers. So how long do you drive each day? 12 hours. You pull a 12-hour shift. How many days a week are you driving? Seven days a week, sir. How when do you sleep? Um, after I'm done with 12 hours. <laughs> I bet. So, I mean, tell me, have you had different experiences driving for Uber and Lyft? Like, tell me, what's the oh, biggest yes. difference between the two? Um, Lyft does not pay as much as Uber. Hmm. And... um. The distance. So let's say I, what I normally do, I'll cut both apps on. So who's ever going to give me the most is who I'm going to go with. And then I'll cut the other app off. Um, but let's say Lyft gives me a ride. Uh, it could be for $6.43, we'll just say, right? But they're asking me to take that person 17, 18 minutes away. That's not worth my time hmm. because that's not even the amount of gas that I have to use to get them there. So that's really, really, it's just breaking even for me. Well, question for you. you you're you're here. You're, you're toggling just like Rondriquez does. Basically, I am. Wow. You know, I mean, because driving for a rideshare company, it's advertised as an easy way to make a living. Has that been your experience? Not true at all, sir. Tell me more. Um. Well, you basically. Well, I depend on the tips. To be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um. The tips are really what helps you to earn because it's not what they're offering you all the time. Um, some days I'm breaking even because you have to think about the amount of gas that I put in my car. So every morning I'm, I'm sure to make sure my gas tank is full. My phone is completely charged, right? Mm -hmm. And I could do 10 rides and I'm back at a half a tank of gas, and I've only earned about 60 bucks. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's good news. That, I mean, not good news necessarily, but it's right. good, to, good to hear. Mm -hmm. okay, thank you for sharing that. Now, sure. Ron, the bus is cheaper than most rideshare rides. What do you think of the public transportation system in the city? I think it's reflective of America's priorities and that we prioritize building around vehicles rather than building around people. Correct. Um, and yeah, uh, the public transportation system in this city is, for a city this size that keeps growing at this rate, uh, is quite frankly abysmal. Mm -hmm. In 2018, voters decided against a referendum that would have expanded the 
to a public transportation system. How do you feel about that decision? Um, as we see now, it was a, wasn't the greatest decision. Uh, at that time, I was having conflict about how I was going to vote on that particular bill. Um, after a conversation with a certain metro councilman um, who I could tell really took the time to really think about weighing the pros and cons about this, um, they convinced me to vote for it because they said, Ron, we don't do this now. In five years, it's going to be too late. And here we are five years later. And the city, I mean, traffic getting around the city used to be, a, I'm born and raised there, it used to be a 15-minute city, right? Mm -hmm. I can get from Parkwood to Antioch, 15 minutes. And I live right out east, right over the bridge. If I want to go downtown, depending on what's going on, it may take 15 minutes, mm. right, just on the traffic. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was a terrible decision. We allow people who are owners of dealerships to convince us not to vote for it, and now they have sold their dealerships for millions of dollars, and we are still stuck in traffic. Now, now tell me this. When you hear Samina talk about the challenges that she faces as a driver, what comes to mind for you? Uh, it's not right, right, on both ends, right? It's interesting, like you said, we're both looking at these apps. I'm trying to find which one's going to give me the better deal. Mm -hmm. She's trying to find which one's going to give her the better deal, but the better mm -hmm. deal for us is two opposite mm -hmm. <laughs> things. Correct. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's no reason someone should be working, anybody should be working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, not knowing if they're going to break even or actually come out on top. That's 84 hours in the work week that she is driving around, uh, getting people across this city because we lack the ability to do it ourselves. And rather than be rewarded with, you know, good benefits and, you know, a, a pay that she know that she's going to get at the end of the week. She's also taking this gamble. Now, Samina, have you ever considered driving a taxi? Um, in the beginning, I did. But as the lady stated earlier, you have so much you have to put into that. And at that time, it that was not feasible for me. Um, and so, you know, I just got set in doing what I'm doing, and I just I just keep doing that and hoping that someday it gets better. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lekalona. We're talking this hour about our city's ride ecosystem, Ubers, Lyfts, and taxis. Oh, my. Which do you prefer? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, my next guest knows all about the taxi industry in our city. Jim Burrow is a retired taxi driver and company owner. And he joins us now. Jim, thanks for being here today. Thank you. So I understand you got into the industry back in the 80s, right? Correct. What was it like to be a cab driver in Nashville back then? Yeah, there was very little traffic, like the gentleman said. And uh, you can make a living at it. It was uh, 90 cents to get in, I think, about a dollar a mile back then. Oh, that's not, that's not bad at all. When did you start to see things change for the industry? Uh, it, uh, it, as the city grew, uh, we added more taxis, and it became a... Uh, a pretty good living for the drivers. They did. Uh, they did okay. They made them above average living, I think, for Nashville. And then uh, Uber and Lyft uh, ordinance law was passed by the state legislature, and uh, and then the drivers uh, didn't make near what they were making, and uh, felt the drivers felt real depressed. They didn't think anybody was uh, looking after them. They thought they'd been mistreated. 
What was your reaction when the rideshare apps, Uber and Lyft, appeared? I was upset that they didn't have to follow the same rules and regulations that the taxi does. We didn't mind the we did not mind the competition. Competition's fine, but we wanted a level playing field where they had to have a fingerprint background check, a commercial insurance, a taxi permit, and a business license. And they were required to have none of those things. And uh, we, the drivers felt very slighted by it because they were required to have that. Well, aside from the competition that you all didn't mind and the lack of, you know, them having to certify themselves and get a bunch of fees and background checks, how else did they impact the industry? Well, they... Uh, took the business, hmm. basically, because they could operate uh, a lot cheaper than the taxi could. So they, they just basically took the business, and they came in with the app. And, of course, the app is a, a great thing. And uh, I think the taxi business did miss the boat on not developing an app. Hmm. Now, you know, a common complaint with ride shares is surge pricing, which we think we've all experienced. Ron, what are your thoughts on that practice? I understand the need for it, depending on the event. Um, I think it would be nice to let people know ahead of time what to expect in terms of surge pricing, right? Because it is like a big sticker shop. Sometimes it can happen in like just like that too, right? Like one day you'll be, or one minute you'll look at the price and something will be $10 and, you know, you may refresh it two, three minutes later, all of a sudden it's $24. And I was like, yo, what what happened in this amount of time? I wasn't warned about it or anything. Um, so I understand, you know, supply and demand. That's the way the market works. I got it. But just some type of warning of beforehand so people are able to at least plan their day around this. Because also this is the option once because of the poor uh, lack of infrastructure in public uh, transportation. Uh Poor working families have to use these apps sometimes, right? It may be a student who is a high school student who has to go to work uh, and help, you know, support their family. Uh, Or someone from the service industry who's getting off on the late shift on Saturday night when surge pricing is totally in effect, right? I I used to work downtown Nashville, absolutely. Uh, Thankful that I got off at 4 o'clock, so no one was riding. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, so for working-class people um, who have to use these apps, um, surge pricing can be detrimental to both opportunities, right, in choosing which opportunities you're going to participate in, and also just in terms of budgeting. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's cost on both ends. Now, Samina, from the driver's perspective, how does this variability in pricing, how does that affect you? Um, well, when I'm on the app, um, the surges are great. Hmm. It, it really is. I must be honest with you. Um, I can, let's say... Um, they'll come on and say, you can get, you can get an extra $10 per ride. Mm -hmm. I'm loving it. I'm so excited. And so when it comes through, you're going to get whatever the ride is, plus what that surge is as well. And so that actually helps out a lot. So that ride, which would normally be about 12 bucks, would turn into a $24 ride, right? Mm -hmm. And that's good for me. 
but it don't last long. It only gives you about an hour and then it's gone away. So, you know, I, I enjoy that part. I enjoy the freedom of being able to be a driver of Uber, but I feel they need to do better at um, bettering things for people who's, who have been on the platform forever. Mm. Understand what I'm saying? I, I, I get what you're saying. Is it is it more like, you know, I'm thinking about the surge pricing. They go up. Obviously, it's a $10 plus for yourself and other drivers, but it's yeah. a limited amount of time that they have this in operation. Yeah. Do you find that more drivers are trying to be out during surge yes. pricing so they can maximize their income? Yes. And it's so many of us that are out at the same time. So you may not get a ride for 30 45 minutes mm. because it's so many people on a platform trying to earn money and then it becomes a cluster with the traffic depending on the area the surge is in mm. right mm. yeah now as we talked about before taxi drivers have to go through a lot of regulatory checks before they can hit the road and uber and lyft don't jim how does that regulation ensure that taxi cabs are safe for transportation well, just it starts off with a fingerprint check. Uh, that makes the drivers very safe. You know who you're riding with. And you know they have commercial insurance in case of an accident. You know they have to have a city permit that's that's issued after all those things have passed all those checks. So it's a lot of it's a lot of safety. Mm-hmm. And this is a college town too. There's a lot of people in this city and uh, you don't know who you're getting in the car with when you get in Uber or Lyft. You just know you're getting one. They don't have fingerprint background checks. They refused to do those things. That's why they went to the state and got their license there, because the city would not allow them to operate without the regulations. And uh, the taxis have meters, too, by the way. They're regulated, and it's, they don't have surcharges. There's no surcharges in taxis. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a meter rate. You get in, you turn the meter on, they take you where you want to go, and that's what you owe. Now, Samina, when you, you drive alone, and sometimes mm-hmm. you drive late at night, if you're driving 12 hours, oh, yeah. you're out there late oh, yeah. at night. Oh, yeah. What concerns do you have about your own personal safety when you're working? Um, that I don't know who's getting into my vehicle. Um, the world is made up of so many different people, and we're risking our lives by allowing the people into the car. But I have a way that I do things. Um, If it's late, I'm going to ask that person to join me in the front. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That way I can see them my parental. Mm-hmm. It's just easier for me. How do you folks know? respond when you ask them to do that? Well, I do it in a fun way. Okay. <laughs> I'll say, why don't you come up and join me in the front? I don't bite, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then some people get a kick out of it. Some don't. Some refuse. And if they do, that's okay. I'll just ask them to sit to the right of me. Mm-hmm. So, what have other rideshare drivers told you about their safety concerns? Pretty much the same thing. Um, they don't know who's getting in there in the car. Um, it's not safe. Mm. So many women have been hurt doing this. I'm sorry. 
it makes me very emotional because we've lost women that were just trying to earn a buck. And it's so sad that these women have lost their lives just because they were trying to make money for their family. Um, and they didn't deserve that. So I came up with a plan to do it my way to protect myself because we can't carry anything to protect us. Mm. It's against law. We can't do it. They don't allow us to do that. Um, so it's really a fine line that you're playing with. Um, because you want your job, you need your job, so you want to abide by the rules of what Uber is saying, but you're also putting your life at jeopardy. You have people that get in a car that's intoxicated too much, and they're men, they can be aggressive. Have you have you reached out to Uber to express these concerns? That's a very great question. The people I've reached out to... They don't understand us. They don't understand the concerns about your safety. They, I'm sure this Tennessee's no, not the only place that's well, facing that. What I mean by that is they don't speak English. So they really do not know really what we're saying, mm. to be honest. So uh, it's just weird, sir. Um, it's... I don't know how to really even explain it, but... But it's a concern for yourself and other and drivers. many, many, many more drivers. Well, we're definitely going to keep an eye on this. I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank both of no my guests. Problem. Rideshare user Rodriguez White and Uber and Lyft driver Samina Globe. I want to thank you both again for coming on to the show thank today. Thank you for having us. Jim Burrow will stay with us through the break. When we come back, we'll examine the impact of the rideshare industry and get an understanding of what the future will look like. Are you happy with using rideshare? What would you like to see changed? This hit, hit us up, tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Kalona, and this is Nashville. With their easy-to-use apps, rideshare companies have taken over the personal transportation market, but not completely. Taxis are still around, even if there aren't as many as there once were. Before the break, we heard from a frequent rideshare user and a driver about their experiences. Now let's learn more about the rideshare industry and what the future holds for people looking to get around town. For that, I'd like to introduce my next guest. Dr. Candace Brakewood is Associate Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville and was the principal investigator of a study on rideshares for the Tennessee Department of Transportation. Dr. Breakwood, thank you for being here today and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks for having me. So tell us more about the TDOT study. What specific questions were you trying to answer? 
Yeah, my research group at the University of Tennessee was trying to understand simply who is and who isn't using rideshare services in Tennessee. So as part of the study, we worked with a company called Populous to conduct a survey in three cities, Nashville, Knoxville, and Memphis. And we collected about a thousand responses um, in 2019, so just before the pandemic started. And we found four distinct groups of users and non-users. Um, we found the first group usually use Uber and Lyft to get around in their own city, typically for social purposes, just like you might think, going to a restaurant or a bar. The second group primarily uses rideshare when they're traveling. So one of their most common trip purposes is to get to or from the airport. The third group, interestingly, doesn't actually request the Uber or Lyft on their phone, but they'll take a rideshare trip if a friend or family member requests a vehicle and they'll hop in. And then last, there was non-users. Um, this was actually the biggest group in our survey. Just over 50% of our sample said they don't use Uber or Lyft. Well, why? what was their reasoning for not using Uber or Lyft? Great question. So we asked them exactly that. Um, and in ranked order, the three most common answers were first, well, I use my own personal car instead. But second was I'm uncomfortable with personal safety. And third was they are too expensive. So those second and third answers are aligning with some of the discussion and from the previous segment about concerns about safety, as well as the expense, it, just the cost of, of using the service. What did you discover? Did, what did you discover? about Nashville? Um, about Nashville? Well, so interestingly enough, as we expected, um, most people use Uber and Lyft just to get in and around the city. Um, about a, almost a third of the respondents use it in and around the city, mostly for um, social um, and personal errands, those sorts of trips. So um, common to what you might expect. How, did, how does Nashville compare to other cities in Tennessee? Um, so in uh smaller number of users overall in both Memphis and in Knoxville, which is, again, what you might think just given um, the different demographic makeup of those cities. How about the rest of the country? How does Nashville compare? Yeah, so we don't have nationwide survey results um, to compare to, um, but I think we can look at some of the other studies done by other researchers, and you typically find some similar things. So these services are very commonly used by younger people going to social events, um, often from higher income groups, et cetera. Um, so those those are fairly similar trends. You know, I'm pretty curious. I'm not, Go continue. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was just going to also note um, some of the other interesting studies that have been done, which we didn't look at in Nashville, but we've seen from other places are the impacts of these services on overall congestion levels on the roadway. Um, and there have been a few recent studies in cities like San Francisco and Austin, Texas, that have um, tried to show and untangle um, congestion impacts and showed that some of these companies have actually increased congestion, slowed down traffic, caused more delay on urban roadways. Again, not something we looked at here specifically in Nashville, but I think one of the interesting trends we're seeing out of some of the academic research right now. Yeah, you know, I'm questioning, I'm curious uh, how many people in the survey answered if they use a taxi cab as a mode of transportation. What do those numbers look like? Yeah, so we didn't ask exactly that, but we asked in a slightly different way. We said, if you were not taking Uber or Lyft on your last trip, so whenever you last rode Uber or Lyft, 
how would you have gotten around? Um, and 22% of our, of our samples said they would have taken a taxi. So there's definitely some switching back and forth, as you might expect, between taking a taxi or taking an Uber or Lyft. Um, on that same question, though, the most common answer was actually I would have just driven. So people would have taken their own personal vehicle. Um, and a majority of people in our sample did own a car. So they, they were able to do that. Um, but last on that same question, though, the third most common answer was I wouldn't have made the trip at all. So hmm. some of these people are choosing to take Uber and Lyft to, to make a trip now that they, they wouldn't have made before. So maybe, again, that's going to a bar or a restaurant or some sort of social thing that they wouldn't have you know, chosen to do just because of the inconvenience of hmm. getting there. Hmm. Now, Jim Burrow, retired track taxi driver, is still with us. Jim, you've seen the state of the industry change for taxis and ride shares. How would you say that has affected the experience for consumers? The consumers uh, seem to enjoy the convenience of the Uber and Lyft. But uh, again, there's no problem with Uber and Lyft being out there if they just have a level playing field and have the same regulations as taxis have. Competition's good. There's, there's the problem that we uh, we are faced with right there. And there's plenty of taxes to take people where they want to go in Nashville. You know, we were talking about this earlier, Dr. Breakwood, that a lot of, you know, the rules aren't the same uh, for taxis and ride shares. Did any of the people you talked about within the study, did they mention the lack of regulation for ride shares as a concern for them? Great question. We didn't explicitly ask about a lack of regulation, um, but I do think that's something we should probably go back and, and do some more research about. But we didn't include that in the survey. Well, tell me this, you know, just, just your opinion as a scientific opinion and an academic opinion. Do you think that rideshare companies should have the same regulations as taxi companies? It seems like they're providing a similar service. So being on a similar playing field would um, make sense to me. But again, that's just my personal opinion um, uh, uh, on the topic. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about the status of rideshare and taxi companies in our state. Are you a cab person, Uber or Lyft? Or do you prefer to drive yourself? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, Jim, I know from experience that calling a cab can take a really long time, as opposed to the relative ease of using an app like Uber or Lyft. How can taxi companies catch up? They will need to get an app. That's how they catch up. And uh, and then the regulation thing needs to come, come into play. Well, you've been in the game for a long time. Well, you were in the game in town for a long time. Were there any attempts to create an app for taxi companies here? I think there's uh, not been any serious attempts to create an app here in, in town because it would basically take uh, all the companies agreeing to be on the app. And uh, that's nine different companies uh, coming to an agreement. And I don't I don't see that happening. You're going to see a coalition coming together to get uh, support from the city or state from the taxi industry as I a whole. I see uh, probably two thirds, three fourths of the taxi companies come together, but I can't see the 100 percent. Well, you, you seem to be the elder statesman of taxis. Can you get everybody together and hold a grand council? I'm a, I've tried that in the past, believe me, and I, I still try, and I'm still hopeful, and I'm still willing to work with any all companies to make that happen. I, I want to see that happen. Now, Dr. Breakwood, Nashville, it continues to grow, and the tourism boom is showing no signs of slowing down. How do you think that will continue to affect how people are using ride shares? 
I think we'll continue to see more and more folks using rideshare, to be frank. Um, as I mentioned before, we did our survey in 2019. My guess is if we went back out there and did a similar survey today, we'd see higher usage numbers. Um, I think during the pandemic time, the, the heart of the pandemic, obviously those numbers would have been lower. Um, but I think a lot of people's behavior has started to rebound. Um, and people really rely on these services to get around, particularly in a city, as you've mentioned, that has um, a fairly small public transportation system. Now, we got a tweet at This Is Nashville from former show guest Rachel Kessner. It says, quote, I feel like I'm always saying this, but none of these options really take into account disabled folks. Since people are using their personal cars, they can't transport motorized wheelchairs. At the same time, not all cab companies have vehicles that can transport wheelchairs, end quote. Jim, are there any regulations around accessibility for taxi companies? Most of the companies, uh, the larger companies, have a wheelchair accessible. The last company I worked with uh, had uh, several. several. They had a, a, f- they, a few they had, in the they, fleet? They had a few in the fleet, yeah. The, the bigger companies tend to have the wheelchair uh, vehicles or the and accessible vehicles, but uh, smaller companies uh, usually don't because it's just it's just not feasible to uh, to own those things and make a profit. Now, you know, I'm interested, profit, money, and the costs are something that's come up quite a few times. And Dr. Breakwood, do you think that the cost of using ride shares, do you think that it eventually will become too much for folks if you're predicting that more people are going to be using this comp- this mode of transportation? What do you think is going to happen with the cost? I think that's something that only Uber and Lyft can uh, can reveal to us. But I will tell you this, um, in our survey back in 2019, we found that the, the majority of respondents, about over a third of people, paid less than $10 for their most recent Uber or Lyft tri- trip. Um, so a lot of kind of short trips, a lot of low-cost trips, um, that was the most common survey response about price of trips. My guess is if we went back out there today, that there would be a lot more um, people answering higher, higher costs, you know, 11 to 20 or maybe 30 or even more dollars per trip. Um, But the companies use the cost, the price of a trip to help regulate demand. So when there's too much demand, that's when they do surge pricing. So um, there's a certain amount of the companies are dictating how the price is going to be set and how that is going to counterbalance demand. Um, So I can't speak on behalf of them, but I'd be curious to see how they respond if um, demand continues to increase. Jim, do you think that the state should kind of step in and put a cap on surge pricing? I do. Taxes aren't taxes aren't allowed to surge price. It's a meter rate. Right now, it's three dollars when you enter and three dollars a mile, and they have a meter rate going everywhere they go. And yeah, I, I do think they should because I think they are. Sometimes it's two hundred dollars to go ten miles in an Uber or Lyft. and it would only be like thirty five bucks maybe in a in a taxi. Now. You know, something that Jennifer Serrano, who was in the segment before in the feature, she mentioned this. She talked about illegal cabs. I'm familiar with those. Back east, we call them hacks. Guys are just hanging out, waiting to give you a ride when the taxi cabs were not available. How much of a problem is that here in the city? It is a bigger problem than anyone would ever realize. We didn't have those problems before we were left because it was only taxis and they're lettered and metered. You could see the color of the cab. You can see the name on the side. Once they allowed Uber and Lyft here, then all, we call them gypsies. I call them gypsy cabs. Mm-hmm. All the gypsy cabs came out because they realized, hey, I can mix mix and mingle 
and look like an Uber or Lyft, and I can go out here and just pick up people and have no insurance, no regulations, no anything. And it's probably hundreds to thousands of them operating in Nashville. Do you have tips for being able to tell the difference between the two? If uh, if you're uh, if you think it's a, if you think you're getting in a taxi because they got a top light on it, that's wrong because taxis have letters on the sides and phone numbers. Okay. That will let you know if you're getting in a taxi, a real taxi. If you think you're getting in a Uber or Lyft, I don't know how you're going to tell. Some of them got little things in the windows and stuff, but they're not. You, they're pretty easily uh, counterfeited. So the the best source of security is riding in a taxi cab because you know for sure that what you're getting, and you know the company, and you know the and the. I might one day the the drivers that drive taxis are. Many, most of them all are family people. They got children. They do this for a living. It's not a hobby. It's not a part-time job. It's not a run out here and do a gig here and a gig there to make a few dollars. These people are sending their kids to school, college, and they're full. They're full-time taxi drivers. I just want to throw that in. Well, tell me this: What do you want to see so that you know the taxi industry can rebound and continue to flourish? as well as being able to share the road, so to speak, with Uber and Lyft. Well, the taxi business is coming back to life now. It's uh, They're adding drivers because some of the uh, inspectors are out there giving tickets to those gypsy cab drivers, and uh, they figure out they can't make it as a gypsy. They're going to have to join a company. And uh, I want to see that uh, level playing field. I don't think I'll ever see one, but I want to see one. I want to see it regulated to where... Uber, Lyft uh, have to have the same uh, requirements as taxis do. And, and uh, fingerprint background check, business license, commercial insurance. And uh, when they have to have those things, it's a level playing field and everybody can, uh, everybody can make a living and have a fair shot. Well, if, you, if anyone's getting into a taxi cab, an Uber, or a Lyft, remember my grandmother's second rule. Uh, third rule, always be kind. I want to thank my guests, Dr. Candace Brakewood with the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and Jim Burrow, retired taxi cab driver and company owner. Thanks to you both for being with us today. Thank you. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at this. This is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. And here's a special heads up. We'll be off air next week so we can spend more time out in the community with you. You'll hear an extra hour of here and now while we're away. But don't worry, we'll have a fresh episode for you on the 17th. I guarantee it. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you in a week, everybody. And be good to yourself, each other and your cab driver.